I'm Cutter Calloway. I'm Tamisha Tyler. I'm Marsha Lee. And I'm Joyce Del Rosario. Thanks for joining our Progressive TV Dinner, an audio series where we gather around a meal to talk TV, theology, gender, race, and of course, food. This season, we're discussing the Canadian sitcom that is new to Netflix in the U.S., Kim's Convenience. Today's meal is brought to you by the Brim Center and the Asian American Center at Fuller Theological Seminary. Just a quick note about this episode. We recorded it in a restaurant, so there's a bit of background hustle and bustle. You might have to lean in to hear it, but like any good conversation and the best of meals, it's the authenticity that makes it worth it. Marsha, where have you brought us? We are in San Gabriel Valley, um, and it's a restaurant that's also in Kuwait town called Songnonda, but it's, this, is the chain, this is the other restaurant, and it's out here closer to where Pasadena is, so that's why we're here. And we're getting their famous Jim. that typically only moms make at home, but this is one of the few restaurants that make it, so we're gonna eat it here today. And this is famously in uh, Kim's Convenience. It is. Right? This is the dish that goes goes bad. <laughs> yes, and it's the it's her signature, Mrs. Kim's signature dish. So. All right. So we're we gonna start eating a little. Yeah. What do we do? What are, any any like? Just go in there. Go in there. <laughs> get in there. Just braise short ribs and then vegetables. So. How do you spell this? K L B I J I I M. Mm. It's good, right? My mom made this for me for my birthday when I came home. So is this always like family style way yeah. to do it? Yeah. Nice. Usually. Got some potatoes. Some rice. Oh my gosh! It's like a, a pile of short rib, and it's so beautiful. Uh huh. I don't even know where to start. Oh, mm -hmm. Look at that. Yeah. You can get a spicier version, but I got the milder one this time around. Because I personally like it milder. But... Yeah, it's good. Reminds me a bit of a... Uh, my mom would, uh, on Sundays, always do a uh, a roast. Yeah. yeah. And we do uh, potatoes and carrots like this. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of cultures have this version, like beef bourguignon, uh -huh. like, or like a braised kind of... No, I've had Jamaican oxtail, you know, like things huh. like that, like anything stewy and kind of... Braised, yeah. slow cooked, yeah. throw in the mm -hmm. vegetable, one pot kind of thing. Yeah. But it is labor intensive, right? So it takes time, so... Yeah, how long do you think? I know my mom, when she makes it, she boils it like crazy and skims off the fat, puts it in overnight to fall down and then skims it again, you know, and then it cooks it again and sautés. So this like, I mean, and also the oxtail soup is also mentioned in the... Kim's convenience. We had it last night at a friend's house, oh. and that takes five to six hours. To make. Oh, wow. So it's that whole like the time, the labor, and the energy. It it looks like not. I mean, when you get it, it's just a clear broth with like oxtail in it. But it's a it's a labor of love. So I feel like um, one of the concepts that I was thinking about for today um, is chong in Korean, and it's love, but it's a tip. It's a very specific kind of love in Korean, where it's about giving. Um, it's it's about um, giving without expecting anything in return, but it's because, and it's just like because I don't know how to explain it, but it's just this deep sense of like like this is chong, right? Or like our friend last night making all that food and having us over, and like we're gonna like eat this together because she knew we would appreciate it, and also because she just wanted to share with us, you know, like and that was her. And as you were telling me, it's uh -huh. like a 
It's a literally untranslated or untranslatable. That's why it's hard for me to describe it. It's no. like I can only use like instances. Like I'm gonna use the show for example. Like like the mom bringing her son um, um, leftovers and like she packs her food mm -hmm. and like brings it to his house. Um, there's like the sense too, like um, when they're eating the oxtail soup late at night together, the mom, the brother and the sister after he fixes the leaky ceiling. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. that's another scene. And um, but like particularly for me, the the two most like impactful episodes uh, of the season were the last two. So like in episode 12, I remember um, there's a scene where the father has to remove a lump from his back, and I remember. Um, they kind of panic and everyone's like freaking out and crying about it. And then the son finds out and we all know in this show that we, we learned that there's an estrangement between the father and the yeah. son. Something happened, broken, a broken relationship. He's not at the house anymore, but he's still interacting with his mom and sister, but the father and him don't really talk, but they are very much aware of each other and are thinking about the other. And then when he finds out that his father has to get the surgery, he goes to the hospital after leaving a work event and just, and his father's kind of like in this like hazy state because he comes out of the, I guess the morphine or whatever it was. And he, they're talking and um, he also shares how um, one time when the son had to go into the hospital, um, I forget why, but um, they never close the store, right? Yeah. The store is always open yeah. every single day, rain or shine. But the one time he closed the store is when his son went into surgery as a kid. And he his appendix. Yeah, he had his yeah. appendix yeah. out. And so like, and he's like, well, why didn't you close the store? Because he says, because you wouldn't let go of my hand. And it's this deep sense of like, you know they love each other, but it's funny too that they can only talk to each other when one's kind of incoherent and like <laughs> not fully conscious. And so, and he doesn't really remember until the next day he realizes he was there because he leaves his pen behind, right? And you see where he where he works. And so, so that scene got me. And then I think the scene in the very last episode at the church a family event where they're doing a singing contest and um, you know the whole time they're like trying to figure out who's going to sing the harmony and they're working out the parts to this um, really well-known hymn um, and it's something about it being sung in, sung in Korean and then they're singing just two parts right and so because the mom can't sing the other part and so then all of a sudden the father shows up late to this event and the son had agreed to do the event under like but knowing that his dad wouldn't be there but then the dad shows up late and then behind the stage starts singing with them mm -hmm. and they all start crying because there's this deep sense of like but he doesn't join them on no stage. on stage yeah. he still supports yeah. them and so it's kind of this room. interesting like like we're estranged but we're still attached to each other no matter what because we're family right and so it's like kind of this beautiful yet painful like yeah. reminder of like this is what like our, whether it's good or bad right but it's like we're still in it together, so. It's really interesting, because yeah. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff there, like, uh -huh. it's an untranslatable thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking, you know, and that this sort of concept you're talking about into English doesn't really work. Right. But then the same thing, there's probably true across like family connection of that sense of being supported or the singing or the voice, even without the, the person being present. Like there is an untranslatability to people's presence in your lives, right? So, and you could both, you could be physically there but not present. Right. <laughs> or you could be not physically there and present in really different and important ways that kind of overcome those, uh, uh, the enmity or the, the dysfunction or whatever. Do you, I don't, I don't know what you all think. I was trying to think through. Marsha sent me another good article on uh, on just the show, like why it works. Yeah. 
even though it's a sitcom, you know. And sitcoms actually, just formally, are they they leverage sort of binary opposites. So you always have, if you think about like traditional sitcoms, you have like the overly emotional character and the overly rational character. You have the uh, so like what, Big Bang Theory, right? You have you have Penny and Sheldon, are sort of polar opposites, right? You have the like overly masculine or overly uh, feminine or question. So in this one, you've got uh, Kimchi and and John. And he, I even I looked up his IMDb page, and his first photo, he's shirtless, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, like he's this. The guy that plays Kimchi? Uh, no, 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 no. The other, one. The, other, the other. Yeah. No, so, yeah so Kimchi's the polar. So he's like he's like funny and not you know ripped abs sort of thing. Yeah. And it's it's more like he's he's there for comedic relief. So, so you have all these things that that the sitcom is rooted in tension and the the distance between these polar opposites that has to quickly be resolved in the end. And so it's just interesting to me that the, this show in particular is a sitcom. There's elements of that. At the same time, it drops in these other things where it's not it's not all about setting up polar opposites and watching them interact. It's there is this sort of untranslatable connection. So is there like does it work because of that? Or is it doing something different, like against the type of sitcoms that makes it effective? Or is it because it's a sitcom that it's effective? Right? Yeah, I don't know. Huh. I think like the article that um, that you sent us is, it, one of the interesting points that they made was um, they didn't try to explicitly say the nuances, right. and you just lived it as if they assumed that the audience lived in that same situation, yep. the same multicultural yep. situation, the same immigrant situation. And so I think that's where the sort of the brilliance of the, of the of it being a comedy is they can focus on the comedy, but then they let all the subtle cultural nuances yeah. just play out in like everyday life. Hmm. And because we are who we are, I mean, this table alone is Korean and white and black and, and Filipino, right? Like, we just live like this as a regular thing. Right. Um, it allows, it kind of gives, what is it, like, it gives credit to the audience that, like, yeah, we, we're not, like, yeah. these isolated morons who yeah, don't know yeah, how yeah. to, that you need to kind of culturally dumb it down. Like, right. we get what it is to live in a yeah. multicultural environment. So that's, I think that's why it works, because they don't have to over-explain everything yeah. and over, yeah. you know, pronounce things. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, then they can just do the comedy moments and the cultural yeah. stuff we just pick up because yeah. it resonates with our life. Or at least mine. And maybe that's why those moments where the dad actually comes in and sings are believable. Oh, God. Whereas, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, whereas in others, it might be like, eh, that character wouldn't do that. Or, you know, and we go, yeah, that that literally resonates. Yeah, and it's at the very end of the yeah, season. Yeah, the very end of the so season. It kind of caps it all off. So. so then that translation happens yeah. where you can translate it, Cutter, into your own family system. Yeah. And like, you know, Marsha translated her family system. Mm -hmm. Given with different nuances, yeah. but still, they don't have to overpronounce the right. points. Yeah. So whether you're in the actual mm -hmm. Korean culture or not, yeah, you can it get still it. resonates. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Beca but that's because the writers were right. were thoughtful enough to let the audience mm -hmm. journey do that with for themselves. Them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Instead of having to explain, over-explain everything. I mean, it's also the whole decentering thing, right? Like, yeah. Nobody is really explaining a lot yeah. of dominant culture yeah. sitcoms. Mm -hmm. You're just supposed to get what the cultural references mm -hmm. are. You're mm -hmm. just supposed to, like, engage in automatically kind of know that that's what's funny. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Or know that that's what that meaning is behind. Mm -hmm. So, I think part of the intention is um, just being unapologetic. Mm -hmm. yeah. This yeah. is what it is. Like, take it or leave it. And I think that 
because none of that pretense is there because they're not trying to make you get um, whatever the cultural references are, whether they are Korean or whether they are Korean Canadian. Um, because that's not their goal. You kind of let go of some of those nuances and let go of some of those um, those barricades that would prevent you from kind of entering into the story of this family. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to kind of receive yeah. kind of this. And that kind of upset that. Like, I wasn't surprised at all that that's something um, that Mr. Kim would do, like, at yeah. the end. Because they were, like, you caught these, like, he's stubborn and he's, you know, yeah. always, you know, <laughs> stop, like, all doing all of the things. But, like, there's always moments where, you know, he surprises you. Like, in yeah. the first scene where the drag queen that comes in and he goes, why you do this? And she goes, it feels like home. And he goes, yeah, like, he resonates with her. Yeah. And then, um, the two young women who are covered, and he, he, you know, he always, you know, tries to get their name, and like he gets around fifty percent of the yeah. time, but he tries. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about, you know, you just have to care for your customer. Like there are these moments yeah. of tenderness that you see in him um, that kind of peek out through his exterior of like pride and like hardness. So when he comes to sing with him, oh. it's that moment to where it's like. Yeah. You see that that throughout the whole time that's always been there. Yeah. But you know, there's all these different layers, and you get to see layers of his character and of the other characters. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's brilliantly decentering. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because, as you're saying that, it it works because it's it the show is a lot like Mr. Kent in that uh -huh. it cares for its audience. And, and what that means is not that you like placate the audience or like just try to spoon feed them stories that you think they'll like, but really it's trying to say I'm acknowledging your you know um, your contingency, your specificity, your like who you are as an individual. Now, Mr. Kim also has his various <laughs> theories. You know, uh, what is it? The the the, the cancels each other out. Yeah, like yeah, you know, yeah. black man, brown shoes, cancel out. You know, <laughs> and I'm like. So, okay, but even that, that's, it's like from a sincere place, not necessarily a, uh, like a, 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 making generic somebody, Yeah, right? I think that's yeah. the thing, it's a sincerity, he's genuinely yeah. interested, and like even with the drag queen, I was going back to that, he's, the person, the drag queen studies him and he goes, okay, I'm gonna answer you, because you yeah. actually ask sincerely, like, you really wanna know about me, I'll tell you why. Yeah. But I will say though, yeah. it's kind of nuanced, right? Like, right. it's very specific, uh -huh. because yeah. I feel like, there are definitely, because Asian cultures tend to be from homogenous countries, yeah. there is a lot of race, racism oh, yeah. that happens. And yeah. So with, with any anyone from a homogenous country coming into a multicultural environment, there's a lot of heavy stereotyping that happens. Oh yeah. I don't know that we always admit that as Asians, yeah. but it's it's there. Yep. Um, and so even the, even the fact of having the dad sort of stereotype, but with like a heart in a way, uh -huh. was like really yeah. interesting, right? Yeah, because yeah. like, my experience has been no. Sometimes it's just stereotyping, and that's and that's just what it is. Yeah. Right. And that's you know that's kind of how you end up with the LA riots, right? Like that's yeah. that's how you end up with those things because yeah. on both sides there's some heavy stereotyping yeah. that was that were announced on either side. So I don't know. That's you know what I, I struggle with this a lot because on this issue in particular because I mean like in the in the series you have Janet 
-hmm. calling her dad out, right? Mm -hmm. And even in that scene in particular, right. she's like, okay, well, what if, uh, you know, I can't remember what she says, but you know, like a, a transgendered, a blonde-haired, tattooed, fat Asian you know, whatever, yeah, fat Asian. Fat oh yeah, and he's like, he's like, no, no, well, you know, Asian gays are only skinny. Or something like that, you know? um, so, so the show itself isn't letting him be the, the voice of the show in that sense, or his his tendency to stereotype. But there's also in there, it's like, and I don't know what you all make of this, but I think of like my granddad, who was a, you know, a Texas lawman, right? And this thing always stuck with me, I don't know why. It was not racial at all, but it was completely a stereotype. So he was a, uh, a sheriff for a while, and then a judge, justice of the peace. Uh -huh. And we're driving along, and this is in the middle of like West Texas, nobody is in on these roads for hundreds of miles. And I remember we're driving with my grandparents once, and we see this person just walking uh, on the side of the highway, right? Probably 30 miles from the next city. And then we get into the next city and he, and he goes directly to the police station. And I'm like, what are we doing at the police station? And he goes in, he comes out and he's like, I reported that that person walking. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, he had all white shoes on. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, you should never trust someone who wears all white shoes. Um, and I'm like, really? What? I would just like to so say that he, I'm currently wearing all white shoes. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, this is before it became in fashion, right? But in his mind, there's something that he associated, you know, criminal elements with wearing all white shoes. And I'm like, Pappy is what we call him. I'm like, Pappy, okay, let's even imagine he's the worst criminal. He's literally 30 miles from any other human. Why do you, you know? Okay, so I say that because I go, there's an element where I, as the younger person who's grown up in a far more, you know, and this was 30 Wait, years sorry, ago. Sorry, can, can I interrupt? Yeah, please. I have to ask the question. Yeah. What was the ethnicity of the person? Oh, uh, he was a white guy. A white, uh, you know, Texas citizen. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Because looking at this from that's a kid's point of view. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm just thinking of okay. like engendered stereotypes sure. or biases okay. that are that are there. Okay. And me trying to, as the younger person, say, I don't feel like that is legitimate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want you, I, want, I don't want that to be the critique of you as my granddad as a whole. Like you're just a, a, a prejudiced person who can't see people for who they are. And there was a sincerity to it, but I would right. also say I, I wasn't comfortable with it, right? right so right, right. Um, that's where I, I, I wonder about the Mr. Kim character, where, where he is, the characterization is really generous and good, and we want to be sympathetic because we should yeah. be. And right now, if it was any other person, a non-character TV show, and we heard them talking like that, that would immediately become sort of a disqualifying uh, statements in some ways. That we would we would need a sort of denouncement of those prejudices and those stereotypes publicly in some cases. Otherwise, we're not okay with you morally, ethically, etc. Is that me meandering talking about that makes sense? I just I'm not quite sure how to navigate that. Why we would in a sense, not excuse it, but or be more okay it. with yeah. trust it yeah. in this character, but in these other instances, we don't. Is it because he's a fictional character, or is it because... Partly, I think. It's aspirational, right? Yeah, or is he or... doing something in particular that a real human could be doing that we also would accept and, and consider legitimate and sincere? Mm -hmm. I think there's... Right? Let's, let's put that in the framework of context. Yeah. You're um, happy was had power. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had power and he had authority. And so any stereotype being from someone for, with power and authority yeah, is already, you know, automatically problematic. Yeah. And then you add the racial racialization to that and then there's there's added <coughs> the the problems get exponentially bigger yeah. 
so say the white tennis shoe guy wasn't white, yeah. that would be a, a whole yeah. other story, yeah. right? Right, right. Even though he could still base it on just the white tennis yeah. shoe, but that would, because of his yeah. power, because of his being white, would just, you know, just really blow that out. Yeah. And then you have this immigrant, store owner, um, with less power, yeah. power in his own domain, power in his own store, right. huh. but yet, um, yeah. In the larger narrative of probably the you know Toronto mm -hmm. doesn't have that, so yeah, like I think there's a, an excuse mm -hmm. that does mm -hmm. happen, but it's because he doesn't have the same kind of positionality yeah. that you know. Uh, well, I mean, you translate that into LA again. You go back to you know the tenses because someone is stealing or calling the police or something like that yeah. could be problematic in yeah. certain in yeah. certain areas. Yep. So they yeah. do have a certain mm -hmm. amount of power. Yeah. Um, I think the funny thing that's not like super funny but it's really interesting that both your copy and uh mr kim said white guy white shoes yeah yeah right <laughs> oh white guy white shoes oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. they're the, they like, are the terror shared stereotype how interesting but um white guy white shoes but yeah Always. i think that there is like i think it's interesting that, to think about like where the sense of stereotyping like where it comes from, yeah. like where does, you know, it comes from your influence in the media, it comes from, you know, inherent things of what you learn, it comes from experience, it comes from all these different things, so I think that that's also important to know too, like I think they're um, in complex relationships or in spaces where people have had um, encounters with other people, they still shouldn't stereotype, but it's based in that fear of that one experience, so it's based mm -hmm. in that fear of, you know, right. um, my family's always, you know, this thing happened to my family, so we've just always stayed away from, like, mm -hmm. there are, the stereotypes are based in something, um, so I think it's important to ask. Well, it's, it's, it's his, you know, uh, suspicion of Japanese cars, you know, mm -hmm. or people driving, you know, this is rooted in a real history mm -hmm. of real violence and real oppression, and he believes that for probably legitimate reasons. Mm -hmm. Now, is it legitimate to, you know, not let people who drive Japanese cars right. come to patronize a store? No. <laughs> but that wound is real. And it's complicated, right? Because yeah. when, when he starts teaching, when he starts, uh, what's the martial art called? Hapkido. Hapkido. Mm -hmm. Like, and he's like, it's the best. And the Korean, just the Korean invented it while they were living in Japan. And then he started talking about yeah. Taekwondo. He's like, Korean invented it while they were living in. Oh man. Oh. Like, he, he, you know, even in his own way, he stumbles upon these complexities yeah. that he can't get around. And that's just, you know, I thought it was just like brilliantly done to see, like, yeah. you know, just how tied and like messy um, a lot of it is, which is important to know. Stumbling upon complexities you can't get around. Realizing just how messy it all is. Tamisha's right. Life just is messy and complex. And while people like me would sometimes prefer things to be a bit more tidy, to avoid the complexity entirely would be to eliminate the very thing that makes life, like the best of food, surprising, rich, and ultimately worthwhile. I just realized something I think I hadn't realized before. So I might have to edit this out of the podcast if it doesn't come out right. <laughs> or maybe I have to say it and keep it in there. But my first thought was like, well, wait a minute. That's not fair. Um, here's what I'll say. Of going, well, simply because I'm in a position of power, my natural born human prejudice that we all 
have, right? I mean, we all carry those around. Is it is less acceptable than others. And then my immediate response goes, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's so many other, yeah, yeah. yeah. That it should be. That's because, actually probably yeah, the yeah. Because the, the damage that it potentially wreaks is so far greater and more consequential. Not just potentially, but historically. Yeah, it actually is in, in real material it's terms. It's not rooted in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not rooted in any sense of like, if I'm in a space where there may be people who look like they're a part of a certain yeah. white supremacist organization, that is rooted in a real fear of real lives mm -hmm. and being lost. Mm -hmm. A lot of prejudice that comes from dominant culture, yeah. what is it rooted in? Yeah, you're right. So maybe that's it's <laughs> both that. It's both rooted in something not in actual sort of the empirical world and the consequences of it are, are far worse. And, and as I was going thinking through like, why, why is my natural instinct to not like that? But at the same time, I accept that with any other sort of issue. So like, if I have, let's say in, a, in my teaching role, I have a certain responsibility as a teacher that's different than a student. And so that simply means I have to hold these things differently than if I'm a student. And that would include any of my foibles. And to me, that and that comes like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. So it's just interesting, my own internal, call it fragility or whatever, of hearing that, and I go, huh? Why is Mr. Kim allowed? You know, th that's I think where I'm, I think that was the initial thought of where I was thinking about my grandfather. Of like, what's different here? But you're exactly right. You um, assume the role of the teacher, yeah. Knowing you assume all the roles of the yeah. roles of father, yeah. knowingly. I think that uh, assuming the yeah. role of your culture and, and owning yeah. that, uh, all that comes with yeah. that, owning I think. Yeah. Uh, owning that yeah. comes with the reality of oh yeah. there's a power play here right. but a lot of the pushback is processing and owning, yeah. and owning it yeah. and Mr. Kim really owns it yeah right yeah. I mean like he's not he's not unaware of his of his mm -hmm. biases in many ways and I noticed too now that we're talking like it's in the in the confines of the store that he feels power outside mm -hmm. of it he's completely insecure do you notice that every time he's outside of the he's like with the doctor he's like wait what 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 yeah, or like yeah, yeah. when he's at the car rental place and he's trying to be cool he's like you know he only oh, lived man, once yeah. YOLO and he's or like even yeah. Have Kido, right? yeah, have yeah. he's like bowing he's to the other he's like oh I didn't know yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's another guy's mm -hmm. space that's not my yeah, space yeah. 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 so good. it's really that's interesting good. to see how it, in the stories where he's like he is yeah. the head of the store, yeah. but outside of the store in his house, it's like... Which we can say, or at least I've heard, in particular in Korean, my Korean friends and Korean churches have said that. Our ethnic churches are the spaces where we can have that confidence and that power. Huh. Just take the whole Because life outside is not that. Right. And so when you when we have these ethnic churches, Mm. There's this push, right, to have multicultural churches. Mm -hmm. But what you right, lose is a right. space for first-generation immigrants right. to, to be able safe. to feel safe yeah. and to feel like some semblance of control right. over, over their own agency and narrative right. um, in like a Korean church or a Filipino church right. or whatever, right? right? There's there's something to that that like you get on a Sunday that you can't get as soon as you step out the door of your own store, of your own church, of your own space. It's funny, when you write stuff and you forget that you wrote it. Right. <laughs> so I went back and I was looking at some of the stuff I write on about sitcoms and how they operate. And, and usually, you know, with most stories in like film or, or like a, a novel or something, characterization happens as you develop a character over time, right? Mm -hmm. They have an arc, they start in one place, 
And most stories leverage this like critical moment in a character's life, you know, and they, they have to change. So most stories are about transformation of character. But in sitcoms, it's way less about, like if you think of any other sitcom, the way the characters start and end, they almost really become characterizations of their initial stuff. They don't really develop as human beings. But what sitcoms do really well is they put these characters in spaces and see how they respond. So part of part of the, the storytelling device is we're watching these humans respond to different contexts and different spaces. So to, to hear you talk about church or then his convenience store as this unique space, does it, the other, let's say the success of the show, is it because it does something similar, Joyce, to what you're describing? Like it provides this space where you can either be yourself or, or own it in a way. I don't know if that's the right word. There's agency. There's agency in it that other maybe more dominant sitcom narratives don't even get you in that space. Well, I, don't, I can speak for you, Mark. Yeah, yeah, but like, I, I watch how you describe the show, and you tear up sometimes. Yeah, right? totally. So there's a there's a resonance that's happening yeah. while you're watching it, unlike probably any other um, like American North American show, right? Because right? we, I spend my my days translating everything. Because nothing, most most everything in my daily life does not have to do with the Philippine American experience. But it's so normal for me. So when you finally find that place that you don't have to translate, it's like, I can't even explain, especially as an English speaker, right? Like literally I can only speak English. But there are moments where, oh my gosh, I don't have to translate. And there's this like rest and exhale that I get to do, but it's so rare. And especially on the media, especially on TV, but there's very few spaces, at, if any, that I can just do that. And so, I think it's something yeah. about being seen. Like, yeah. wow, this show, like if I had had this as a kid, because I would always look for Asian people, right? Like on a soap opera. I'm like, oh, there's a girl that looks kind of half Asian, and I think maybe she gets one, or like, or you How know. How come she doesn't have any lines? I know, it's like, but I would like connect to the, the closest thing, like Karate Kid, or like anything that like kind of, so to see it is like, oh, I'm like, there's something that, yeah, exactly what you just said, but I'm Transition is tiring. Yeah. It's an exhausting yeah. effort that we do on a regular basis. Yeah. And you don't know it, it's unconscious now. Right. But when you don't have to, yeah. it's suddenly you don't have to work at it. Yeah. yeah. Just the sort of psychic exhaustion <laughs> that goes into play. Yeah. And you don't even know it beforehand if that's all you knew, right? Yeah. And so then when you finally see it, you're like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's when it gets all emotional. Because yeah. right. it's like, oh my gosh, I don't have to work right now. Yeah. Right. And it's cathartic. <laughs> yeah. So do you think, Marcia, that like, did you think we we talked last time about that there's only like one or two even scenes with them in the house? So most, and, and you know, oh, Janet yeah. <laughs> lives in the store. So, but the store becomes that space, yeah. both of like family life and domestic yeah. and, and, and economic life and, and uh, the broader community life where people come in. But getting back to your sort of notion of, of Jiang, 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 do you think? Like from your experiences, you go like, "Oh, this resonates with me," or whatever. Did you have a similar space in your life where you encountered that? Um, was it more in the home? Was it somewhere else? Was it at the church? What? Where was? That? Yeah, I think it was all those places. I didn't go to my mom. I, I went to my mom and dad's store a lot as a kid, but I didn't work in it like Janet did. Yeah. My my sister did that actually more than I did, or my brother did. But um, I think the home, especially, and I it just clicked again. Like, I think the scene where Janet's telling her dad that I'm actually gonna move out. Oh, yeah. And then that connects even more now with the idea that she's leaving me. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have, like, agency. Like, I'm not, I don't have the 
like my daughter is not going to be in my world anymore. I mean, she is. She's going to come back and work. But there's already this thing. And when he tears up and he goes, I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it just got me because it was so like. The worst is something she's like, you won't even notice I'm gone. And he's like, yes, I will. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not a. Yeah. You're irreplaceable. That's where I think then it becomes. It's such a particular story, but then yeah. becomes very universal in that totally. sense of like, yeah. you know, um, I'm not and wasn't familiar with this sort of Korean untranslatable concept, yeah. but I am very familiar with that untranslatable like my kids Maybe. moving yeah. out. Yeah. This this reconfigures the whole of my life. It's not just a oh, it's no big deal, Dad. But it's also the case that. Like, as a Westerner, especially in the U.S., and given, like, most of our embedded narratives about independence and how kids grow up and where they where they go, it's even different that I, both my, I mean, even my parents, I think, had said stuff about how their, their entire role as parents is to basically develop us into people who can live on our own, right, that are independent. And I'm like, okay. And that's, that's, I understand that. That's good. But there's also, like, a, well, no, that's not true. We're never actually independent. There's a, uh, like a, not a long, maybe a long is the right word, but I look at it and there's, and I go, wow, that's a, a different sort of conception of family and even what happens when you go outside of the family, that you're still tethered. Maybe back to that same yeah. metaphor, if you have your parents' voices singing, even if you're, quote unquote, independent from them, um, that I don't really, I haven't inherited that sort of vision of what it means like to, to leave the family the nest, right? That's what makes it tricky, being Asian American mm. to me. Because, right, I grew up always, there's no such thing as leaving the nest. Like, yeah, even if you yeah. leave the nest, your parents move in with you. Oh. <laughs> so it's like there's never there's never that separation. But, like, at 30, I finally said, I, I need to move out. I want to move out. And my mom kept saying, why? Yeah. And I said, because I just need to know that I can pay rent. Like, I just need to know that I'm adult enough. But so there's that American side of me that needed that separation just so I knew that I could survive. But every single day that I lived outside of the house, they were like, when are you going to move back? When are you going to move back? Right? And so it's like, that, that's a tension for an Asian American because you live in those both of those like narratives of, of like independence, but yet there isn't an independence in, you know, an Asian family unit. And so... Specifically as a second generation. Specifically yeah. as a second generation. Yeah. Do you see third, like if you're a third generation yeah. raised, is it a different, I mean, I assume it's different, yeah. but is it like entirely different? Yeah. Or? I don't know yet. Huh. I mean, we'll see with my nephews and yeah. your... My, my nieces are half, so we'll worry. <laughs> 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 I don't know what that means, but yeah. huh. it could be different. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, it's, it's not just, I mean, I, I don't know why I resonate. You know the movie Spanglish? Yeah. Hmm. Remember that scene where she's like, the daughter at the end is like, I just need some space right now. And then the mom gets right up in her face. Mm. There is no space between you and yeah. me. I felt that yeah. on such a oh, deep wow. level. Yeah. Like that's yeah. my family yeah. too. Huh. Like, and so. Huh. Um, I was like, whoa, that's like real. Like, yeah, and, and I would I would even say my family, it was explicitly stated otherwise, right? Like so the, interesting. Yeah, the yeah. Sort of like to, yeah. to, to grow and thrive yeah. as an adult is really yeah. to yeah. say we're separate. Their success was based on you being able yeah. to, to oh, be wow. independent yeah. and, and yeah. take care of yourself. If I always yeah. needed my parents, they yeah. had failed me, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah, that's very opposite. And in particular, right, and, and I don't know, Marsha, if it's the same for you, but uh -huh. me not being married, oh, yeah. until I get married and yes. have kids, then I'm still always under my parents' like... We're still their kids. Yeah, yeah, I'm still their kid, and so they can't let go of me um, as, their, like, mm -hmm. as their dependent. Yeah. So I'm 45, but they still see their, their job is to take care of me and make sure uh -huh. that I have everything I need, uh -huh. because I don't have 
you know, a husband and, you know. Which if you were 25 and married. I'd be in a totally, totally different space. Hmm. Now you're part yeah. of their family. Yeah. Well, in my culture, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what it would yeah. happen, yeah. right? Huh. Thoughts? I think I'm resonating you... with your experience. Yeah. Like my mom was like, you know, bye. You're not <laughs> 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 Like, yeah. 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 And that was the thing. Like when I, I was, I was also an independent kid, so I was, I was like, yeah. bye first yeah. before they were like, bye. But um, even in college, and I would just come and stay with my dad during the summers, and I was staying with him like my last year, and I paid rent. Yeah. And it's like, you want cable? You pay for cable. Mm. I had, you know, obviously everybody has chores and different things, sure. but um, I was mandated to learn that certain sense of independence, even though he was still very sad when I was like, I'm not, I'm going to move out on my own. And he's mm. like, but you could just move with us because they are moving home. And I was like, there's nothing where you're going. I'm not moving to the middle of nowhere. Huh. And, you know. He didn't really say anything. He's like, you know, you know, you can do what you want, but you know, he would call me at six o'clock in the morning every day, and I'm like, Dad, yeah, we need to reevaluate this. Um, but that was his way of saying that yeah. he missed me being in the So it's, I think it's a little mixed. I think it's the sense of like, you know, you do take care of your parents, you take care of your family, but they want you to leave the nest and go out and do things. And what we were ingrained in was like. Every day my mom would say, when you go out there, you represent me. So whether or not she was with yeah. us, mm -hmm. she was with us. Yeah. Mostly a threat. Like, if you go out there, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But it was in the sense yeah. that, you know, I am always with you. It's not just you going out there. Yeah. It's me yeah. going out there. Yeah. So I raise you to be an extension of me. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. we go out and we do all the things, but there is still this... Um, there's still this tie, even in estrangement. Hmm. There's still this tie. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I wonder, Joyce, you're talking about like church life. So, okay, we have this show that's in Canada, yeah. and in Toronto, mm -hmm. which is a fairly cosmopolitan, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. plural yeah. place. Yeah. So, it there it's somewhat unique. You know, if you think about like a U.S. audience, there's a lot more homogenous places in Toronto, and we're in you know Los Angeles pretty pretty diverse you know like but not everyone is um, then I think about that push towards multicultural churches and I've, and I've thought about this a lot of like well but then there's this case for let's say an immigrant church and I go I see a lot of value in that um, because of what you're describing of like I need to not translate all the time there's there's something that I want to affirm and I want to say trying to say that needs to become multi or plural sort of doesn't acknowledge maybe the rest of those people's lives that they're they're exhausted by this translation so I wonder as we're talking about family it just strikes me that one of the challenges of doing multicultural churches is we are ostensibly this family right a diverse family but really we're all bringing into the space really competing or conflicting notions of even what a family is right so like are you actually independent agents that have your own lives and then you kind of come in and you you eat a meal together and then you go like some ways or is it you know, but that's bad. I was gonna say, are we all infected by the the, the the meal gone bad, right? Like we're inseparable in that ways. And it's really hard to do, to construct a family when you have these multiple visions of what that even means. Um, have you seen like successful versions of that? Where it's like, yeah, this really works somehow, where you're getting these different visions and they, they thrive? Successful versions of? Of that sort of multicultural church, where if, if church is supposed to be this, this place where we gather and it's, we can breathe, we, we're not psychically exhausted in the same ways. I don't know if I can 
qualify them as successful. Yeah, that might be a bad the word. Better, yeah. the, the churches where I see, the multicultural churches where I see it decentered are usually led by non-white exactly. leaders. Yeah. It's the multicultural churches that are led by white leaders yeah. that it pretty much just co-ops yeah. whiteness in yeah. the worship and the preaching and everything. And then the crowd is multicultural, but the, the system and everyone up front and the yeah. leadership and the pastor is white, and right. so everything gets led white. It's back to our progressive dinner, right? Yeah. Like it's me right. inviting you all to my table. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Well, if you, if we just, especially if we only ate, like if we only met in your space yeah, and exactly. ate your food and yeah. your, yeah. then that's exactly what it would yeah. be. And like, yeah, then it wouldn't be, it would only be a shallow version of multicultural. Yeah. Um, there's, there's also those churches though, I mean, there's layers of wisdom. So you have those yeah. kind of churches yeah. that are led by white, but then you still have some instances of churches that are led by non-white pastors, but are ran, yeah. centered around a certain uh, white evangelical yeah. ethos, yeah. Yeah. where that right. is still the dominant culture. Yeah. So it's still led so by white. Still yeah. 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 That's how strong. We're in the back singing. But it's like the patriarchy is still at that level. And then you have churches that are that you know that I've been to, that I've worked at, that yeah. that are that are trying, that are trying to you know mm-hmm. diversify worship, diversify preaching, and do yeah. those things. But there's still um, there will always be the rub, whether it hits in the small group or whether it hits in one pastor preaches a sermon and everybody takes it like differently because of yeah. There is there's um, always gonna be a. I don't want to say dominant culture, but there's always going to be this underlining of cultural expectations that are going to be driving the multicultural churches. You know, some multicultural churches that are run by black pastors, it kind of looks a lot like black church experience, but it's multicultural. You see it with, you know, Korean American, Presbyterian experience. So there's, there's always going to be like a dominant form of culture that people are gravitating toward that, um, Unless you're really intentional, you can just kind of cater to that and then just say, well, we have all the representation. (laughs) All of our numbers are diverse, but you're still running under a certain dominance. When I should, my, as I was thinking successful, I think that is a bad word. I think I would, I, my, a better word would be life-giving. So, I mean, even as I'm here, you're, you know, describe certain things. I've encountered churches that, whatever the paradigm is, can be very, quote-unquote, successful. Like, a lot of people show up and say it's a great thing, but then you, like, look at some of the fruit and I go, it doesn't seem very life-giving. It doesn't seem like people are that are part of this are enriched and, and nourished and walk and you know, want to share a meal. Like and you tell people, you know, are living in healthy ways. It seems exhausting. It seems, you know and that's I guess what I'm just looking for just in general. Cultural, multicultural, whatever. But it does make me wonder is there and I, I maybe I'm answering the question space for a variety of kinds right that that we need a variety of leaders a variety of communities and maybe even seasons of time where a certain body of believers gather together under a certain pretense for a very specific reason so you know we all came over here fleeing you know mr kim you know no although she says they flew over on planes right oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know why aren't you um, so you know you, Air yeah. <laughs> but maybe it's you land and, and you immigrate to a new place and you're a, a sort of a, a stranger in a foreign land and there's a time when you need a certain yep. something from this community yeah. and then over time you grow you mature you develop and then maybe you think differently about how you expand so 
I think maybe that's my other kind of like, uh, when we talk about multiculturalism in churches, is sometimes it's almost like the push is to say, all churches need to be equally and generically multicultural. That I don't know if that's what people mean, but that's what I hear. And I don't, that surely isn't the right response. Yeah. I felt like the thing, but, especially in the 90s and early mm-hmm. 2000s, like that's like we have to be multicultural. Like, yeah. But then I always saw it as a white church that was like yeah, what exactly, you were kind of describing. Exactly. And so, especially in like, you know, I was in a parish church organization, you know, so like that's like the yeah. ethos. And so, and now people are pushing against that. Yeah. Like I don't know if that's the, the way. The multiculturalism as window dressing right, right. is one yeah. thing, but the like deep. Uh, right, rooted change and work of, of genuine multiculturalism in different what is the intention of that? What is that producing? Like, yeah. if it's producing a way in which we can engage in community with people that are different from us, like, if you have a church that's, that's homogeneous, it's all, like, either immigrant population or other population or whatever, because they need the untranslated space, there are ways in which you can engage in that community that lends to, like, multiculturalism. How are you talking about, you know, other things that are happening in other communities? How are you engaging in, like, mm-hmm. there are ways in that you can teach people to engage a community while maintaining a safe space for them to just gather and to be who they are. Right. When I think about success, I mean, I think about it in friendships more than like you guys, and because we live life together, right? Like we go to each other's, you know, we yeah. go to each other's. I went with her to go get her hair done. Like you guys come with me to Korea town. Like you know, we are like we're doing life like this constantly. So it's been with my friends. Some of my lifelong friends have been people that like I live, you know, in college, like because we went through some hard, hard like around race, around gender, around all this yeah. stuff, and like they're like lifelong friends now, like 20 years in. Like I've been like, but there's nothing else. I mean, the thing that I feel like that does keep us together. It sounds kind of trite. I mean, it feels it's God. I mean, like we really had to work it out with each other. Like you and I should never be friends. Mm-hmm. And, like, like why are we like, the whole kingdom yeah. duo? Thing? Like outside of the kingdom, I don't think could ever survive with one another so but but somehow like I kind of have these amazing friends all over the world literally yeah. that I wouldn't have outside of those communities that I've impressed yeah. to develop so yeah there's got to be some sense in which I would think like from a theological perspective acknowledging the value of our tribalized identities as and, and that being bound up in a commitment to going beyond those Right, or, or reaching outside of that in some way. It's got to be a little bit of both. Because um, we could never just scrub off the history that we any of us have received or inherited. That would be silly. We wouldn't be us anymore. But at the same time, there's something about the gospel that is inherently anti-tribal in that sense. It, or the negatives. That, that, that goes, I mean, I don't... I go back to it, but like that's why for me potluck theology yeah. makes sense because yeah. my dish is my dish. Yeah. The dish is the way that I bring it to the table. Yeah. But we can both enjoy and share yeah. it, yeah. and I can even share in yeah. yours. But I'm not expecting you to make the same thing I make. Yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah. there's this like collaboration that gets to happen in the kingdom, but then there's this like celebration of the individual identity yeah. within yeah. the community that like that that relational kind of upholding of the individual within the community of diversity is is the thing that we struggle with i think it's like that's the goal for me at least is like yeah that's a kingdom to me is where we can celebrate one another completely and holy in who we are 
Yeah, do it. Yeah, by the end of our podcast, the metaphor will be completely dead. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna do it. But but like you're thinking about that, and I was thinking about big meals where people come and they Mm -hmm. sit around the table, and Mm -hmm. I thought about big traditional meals like a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal. Usually, when you see commercials on TV, it's centered around the turkey or the ham. When you see like. Meals for like you know like soul food meals yeah. like meals in communities. Uh-huh. There's no real central yeah. dish. Everything's yeah. central. Everything is central. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to add to the analogy, it's like yeah. it's not like all right, I'm gonna yeah. make the turkey, and all of you guys will bring the sides yeah. and That's the good. sides. Yeah. Yeah. It's like no, there's like you can't tell what's a main dish yeah. and what's a side. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Everything is important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that kind of leveling um, is just like a slight uh-huh. shift that I think that is really, really important to know in something yeah. like a public theology yeah. and even that we see uh-huh. in, um, in this in this region. Yeah, I mean, we, um, my wife and I once sort of commented on all the sides at Thanksgiving. And so once we had an all sides Thanksgiving. <laughs> so we had no turkey. And, That's and, great. And, and that was, yeah. <laughs> and so, but you're, you're absolutely right that because I was trying to think as you're describing it, I'm like, where do we go wrong then in church life or theology? Because I want to say most people are sincerely saying, yeah, I want everyone to bring yeah. what happens. Well, it's be, what happens usually is the turkey gets plopped in the middle of the yeah. table. And then not just does that become the focus, but everything else becomes oriented yes. around it yes. and is literally exactly. called a side dish. Yes. Yes. So part of the task is. Not that no one likes turkey. I mean, yeah. I brine my turkey for seven days <laughs> and uh, cook it for 24 hours at yeah. 200 degrees. It's delicious. Wow. But it, the turkey isn't like, we're not just gonna eat turkey. There's all this, yeah. this bounty around it. Um, but it is interesting to think, what is that turkey? So like, what's the thing that usually becomes the turkey in our communities of faith and, you know, academic theology, since yeah. we all operate in that realm too. Um, there's always a turkey on the table. You gotta kick it off the, at least out of the center. Or maybe so, yeah, add some ham, add some thing. It's never centered. Like the yeah. turkey, the ham, it's never centered in our yeah. big meals. Yeah. yeah. And that, are you sure. saying, well, we might wait till we discuss you and, and soul food, but is that a, would you describe a, a soul food culture as a nothing is central? In that yeah, sense? I mean, it, it depends for like, it, it depends for certain people. Yeah. Like some people are coming because. I want this mac and cheese. And some people are yeah. coming with <laughs> uh-huh. like, But it's so-and-so's mac and cheese. It's so-and-so. Uh, yeah. Right. So uh, that's like, what makes it centered. Yeah, so it's, it's like yeah. it's centered around yeah. Yeah. so-and-so made the sweet potato yeah. pie and mm-hmm. da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And you're coming to, to the thing that you love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that's not there, the meal's not the meal. Right. Huh. But that doesn't mean that everything yeah. caters around yeah. that, that one yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So right. I think there's a balance there. Mm-hmm. Marsha, you invited us here. and. Had to see this delicious meat, which was awesome, and it's it's gone. It's not um, really. It's not that. Oh, I will. I will take care of it. If you were kind of gonna wrap it for us and say, here's here's what if we walked away from this missing X, it would not have been the experience you wanted. What would that be? What what is the takeaway you want us? Take it away. Once you experience the concept of chong just yes, even today, yes. just now, yeah, this is a part of me, right, and my people and my culture, and so I, I want to share that with you guys. So it's like because it's something that I love and that my mom makes for me when when I know my mom loves me, she makes me stuff like this, right? Mm. So 
and that I love you guys really so much. Oh. Anyway. Oh. I'm so sorry. We love you too. We love you. Thanks again for joining our Progressive TV Dinner. For those interested in more conversations on all things theology and culture, find past episodes of the Cutter Calloway podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or CutterCalloway.com. As always, thanks to Day Salah Thompson for the sweet tunes. And a special word of thanks to our generous sponsors, the Brim Center and the Asian American Center at Fuller Theological Seminary.